Real people. Real opinions. Real talk radio. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic Hits. Now, a lot of people have been talking about, when we we talk about COVID-19, they say, you know, Niall, it's kind of impossible to get away from it because, you know, RT News are kind of giving us the gory details every day. And when I say the gory details, we have to look at what they're actually saying every day. They have a reporter at six and at nine o'clock outside the press conference where uh, Deputy Chief Medical Officer Ronan Glynn, maybe Philip Nolan might be there or whatever it is. Like last night, for example, here we are now nearly two weeks with nobody has died. In fact, uh, one death has actually been removed from the list uh, in the last two weeks, which was a person, obviously, which they found out obviously didn't test positive after all. Um, Of course, those cases that were mentioned by Leo Varadkar, the over 500 people who didn't actually die where they were suspended or they had serious underlying conditions and sadly were going to um, pass away. Anyway, they haven't been removed from the list. I don't know why they did in England. They removed those numbers from the list. If they were, we were our, our list, or should I say, our list of the dead, so to speak, from COVID-19 would be a lot lower. But last night, just to give an example, uh, 95 cases. The majority of those cases, by the way, 67% of them were people under the age of 45. Realistically, they're of no risk whatsoever, really, when you think about it. It would be quite rare for somebody under the age of 45 to die of COVID-19. We can see that from the data and the statistics that are out there. It would be, it's very unlikely uh, that any of those people would die. And if we look at the list over the last, say, four or five weeks uh, of those increasing cases, because, of course, we're doing more testing, we're finding more cases, uh, we're doing record number of tests, over 70,000 tests have been carried out in the last seven seven to eight days, um, we are going to find more cases, the majority of whom are not at risk. Um, So we never, in the history of the state went on television every night to tell everybody that realistically and I don't, I don't want to be flippant and make little of it but 95 people were feeling a little bit unwell we've never said that before ever so why are we continuing to do it a lot of people believe it's about fear and uh, there's an article in the paper here in the Irish Times doctors call for utterly meaningless daily figures to be dropped and I'm looking here at the article and it says uh, Dr. Matthew O'Toole, uh, former president of the National Association of General Practitioners, said the daily announcements is causing huge anxiety and is utterly meaningless. And he joins me on the line. Uh, good afternoon to you. And I believe you don't mind being called Matt. So I refer to you as Matt if you're OK with that. Because the girls know outside my producers how I struggle badly, Oscar Anyway, so, so I do uh, respectfully, I do apologise to you. But I. Uh, Matt, I mean, these figures that are announced every day, it was important, I suppose, in April and May when sadly many people were losing their lives. Those, by the way, in in very vulnerable groups usually. But should we continue to do this? No. I mean, in in my opinion, I think the daily drip feed of figures is is really unhelpful. Like, as a society, we're on this emotional roller coaster where when the figures are high, we see mass hysteria, huge levels of anxiety. And then when the levels are lower, it leads to false reassurance, which is equally unhelpful. It's like a self-perpetuating cycle of misery. Uh, And as a society, we just need to get off the roller coaster. We're we're six months into a pandemic that could go on for maybe two, maybe four more years. Well, some experts have said 30 years, but there you go. Yeah, we can't let COVID continue to totally dominate our lives. We need to learn to live alongside it in a way that doesn't have such a detrimental effect uh, on our mental health. If you look at this week, we had uh, 53 um, cases on Monday. That went to 217 cases on Tuesday, back down to 89 on Wednesday. The daily figures are meaningless and people don't understand them. What's the meaningful is a weekly release of figures that is given in context so that we can see what the trend is and where the cases are geographically spread. We need to present the information to people in a way that, that's under 
understood in, in, in context. Because should, we, should we be presenting it in a more positive way? In a sense that, for example, if I took last, like I mentioned last night's figures, 95 people, uh, 67% of them were under the age of 45. So you and me know, and everybody knows, I think at this stage, because we've all become a little bit of an expert at this stage in relation to how the data works. The majority of those uh, cases, they're not at risk. They're under the age of 45. Most probably don't even know they have it. And those that do probably have mild symptoms. So realistically, we would have never done this before in history when it came to influenza, when it came to any other viruses in the past, swine flu, any other coronaviruses that were had been around at the time. We would have never said this. So why do you think we're doing it? A lot of people are of the impression that RTE in particular, who seem to be doing this, I mean, tonight's Late Late Show, first Late Late Show back, uh, Deputy Chief Medical Officer Ronan Glynn is a special guest. I mean, do we need to be doing this? I think it's important to keep it in, in the back of people's minds. And I think, you know, people need to be reminded that COVID is there. But as I said, what we're seeing at the moment is if you were to ask somebody in the streets, like, where are we with regards to COVID at the moment? They genuinely wouldn't know because the figures are going up and down dramatically. What would be much better is, for example, we had 1,500 cases in the last two weeks. And in the two weeks previous to that, we had 1,000 cases. That's meaningful, useful information. And Joe Soap on the street can say, you know, the number of cases are trending up, upwards and they'll digest that and then they'll move on. But at the moment, I just think it's causing a huge amount of anxiety. And as I said, what I'm seeing as a GP is just astronomical levels of code-related anxiety where every day at 6 o'clock your phone lights up and you get messages saying, this is the number of deaths, this is the number of cases today. And then you just get an explosion on social media. And like we, we just need to move on because, as I said, this could be our life for the next few years and I just think we've an unhealthy relationship with it at the moment. Yeah, In relation to where we stand with GPs mm. and I, I don't want to be springing questions on you that maybe you weren't prepared for I suppose but in relation to GPs at the moment I still hear a lot of people saying it's difficult to get to see the GP I don't want to talk to him over FaceTime or on a phone or I want to go mm. I want him to examine me, I want him to check me and make sure am I alright, particularly if those who are elderly might have an underlying condition and they're finding mm. it difficult to get access to GPs is this still a problem? I mean, GPs would have saw whatever 14 or 15 people a day pre-COVID. Now they're not doing that anymore. When do you see us getting back to some level of normality where a GP is actually getting to meet people and, you know, check their chest and their heart with his little stethoscope and do what he's meant to do, I suppose, or she? Yeah, well, it's the first thing is the GPs tend to see between 30 and 40 patients a day. Um, and what we're doing at the moment in our practice, we're about maybe uh, 20%, 30% remote, so videos and telephone, and about 60 to 70% face-to-face. What we're doing, though, is anyone that has potential COVID-like symptoms, we're asking them to ring ahead, and if we need to, we can see them but wear PPE. So we are, in essence, kind of going back to the way that we were, but I hate to use this phrase, this is the new normal. And the problem in Ireland is that our health service was so poor to start that it's kind of shine a light on the fact that we have massive issues when it comes to capacity in both GP and in the hospital. So we are trying to get back to normal, um, but that, that is the new normal. And as I said, if somebody rings me up and they, they want to see me face-to-face, we can organise that. We just need to run to But how did we, how did we manage before? Match. You know, I mean, when you look at, I don't, I'm not comparing COVID with flu, but I, obviously they're both viruses and they both kill a lot of people, right? I mean, yep. but I mean, when we, we somebody rang you up, you know, going back po- or pre-COVID last year, or particularly say 2017, 2018, when you had a very bad flu season, right? And somebody rang you up with the sniffles and the snots and they wanted to come and talk to you. We didn't have an issue with it then. So the doctor just saw you and he gave you an antibiotic if he thought you had a chest infection from the, the flu or, or he'd, he'd refer you to hospital if he thought, for example, you had a particularly bad temperature. So, which happened to me, by the way, a year and a half ago, I nearly ended up in hospital with pneumonia. But, but in saying that, where, where are we now? I mean, why can't we continue that practice? Or was that an old practice that we we're never going to see come back again? Yeah, so, I mean, we, we can. It's, the reality is that what we do, so when I, in my practice, if I'm seeing somebody who I think has the flu or COVID, I just have to wear PPE and I see them in a particular room in the surgery. And the reason we're doing that is we're trying, for, for starters, 
not all the doctors will see um, people who, who have COVID. So I'm the youngest doctor in my practice and I see anyone who may potentially have COVID because there are other doctors who are pregnant and other doctors who are over the age of 65. But what we, what we don't want to do is to be bringing patients with COVID in, interacting with other patients, infecting patients in the waiting room and actually infecting our staff. So the big worry we have as GPs, there's eight GPs in my practice and about 10 admin staff. Is it's that, just, is that it, something it, we probably should have been doing anyway because there was always a case where you said, 100%. do you remember that, that old adage, the last thing I want to do is go to a doctor's waiting room, I'll end up coming out with more than I went in with, do you know what I mean? Is that, that is totally is it, true. That is 100% true. And in the past, as I said, like, when we look back on the way we used to handle flu now, it's actually ridiculous. Like, 200, between 250 and 1,000 people die of the flu every year in Ireland. That is a fact. And we have handled it very differently to the way they handled COVID. But we just realized that we should have been doing things very differently. The way they've handled the flu, for example, in Asia is the way they were handling COVID now. And because they brought those measures in, in for example, Australia, the flu just hasn't been circulating in Australia. Well, so, I know. I think we've all noticed there's less, but maybe people are just afraid to say anything. But there's less people kind of turning. You're very Irish here. And we turn around and we say, Jays, I think I'm coming down with something. Uh, we, <laughs> we don't hear people saying that anymore. I think we're all afraid to admit if we're feeling unwell now. Oh, 100%. But the, the way in terms of that we're managing flu is going to have to change. And as I said, especially when it comes to kids in the past, if you had a kid with you know, a fever or a cough, you just gave them a dose of Calpol and sent them in. We can't do that anymore because what we don't want to do is for this to spread, whether it's the flu or COVID. So unfortunately, this is going to be the new norm going forward. But if people need to see a GP, they can see a GP face to face. It's just a bit more complicated than it was. And is it going to be a double whammy now in October, end of October, when the flu season kicks in? Because I remember reading an article recently where we had 25,000 people presented themselves to A&E with the flu in one year. Again, I think that was 2017 and 2018, which I'm sure you would remember was a particularly bad year. Is it going to be really complicated now where we have flu, we have COVID, you know, distinguishing between the two, who's going to go for a test, who's not? I mean, because we haven't really got our testing up to scratch yet. So is that going to be difficult? Yeah, I mean, look, to be honest, we're in for the mother of all flu seasons this year. Like, I mean, I, I would be very worried about it, and my colleagues would be as well. You know what happens every December and January. The whole health service grinds to a halt. Outpatients are cancelled, elective surgeries are cancelled, and we have hundreds of people on a trolley. And that was just last year, which was a particularly mild flu season. So this year, we're going to have the flu, and on top of that, a highly infectious pandemic with COVID-19. So I don't think that the capacity exists within the health service for us to be able to manage it. I, I, I wish it did, but I don't think it does. Just to put it into perspective, like they have five times more ICU beds in Germany than we do per population. They're way better and way more able we to haven't, deal with the pandemic thankfully we, we haven't seen that pressure on the health service in the last six or seven months. And when you talk about a highly infectious pandemic, of course, influenza in itself is a highly infectious pandemic too. I mean, we haven't seen that pressure. We've seen that pressure in the last three or four years where, you know, we have seen the HSE, the nurses and the doctors screaming out for support, you know, in the flu season. I mean, particularly, as I mentioned, 2017, 2018 and many other seasons as well, which were particularly bad. And they haven't got that support. I mean, realistically, what can we do? I mean, there's obviously a limit to how many beds we can supply. I think what's the, at the moment, ICU beds is 533 across the country. Uh, at the moment, I think we're only using six of them for COVID-19, which is great news. Um, but in, in saying that, during the flu season, you can have up to a few hundred people, um, you know, in, and this is going to put pressure on the service, isn't it? Well, look, I don't want to be kind of diseased about it, but it's, it's too late now. You're right. We, we can't build a hospital in the next two years. We can't dramatically increase our ICU capacity. All we can do is take over the private hospitals again. The last time 
we didn't really need them, which was great, and I hope that doesn't happen. But I, I do think that this winter will be different. As I said, every year the system collapses in January, and I think this year will be no different. I, I think it might be worse. I hope I'm wrong, but that, that's what I think will happen. A final question. Do you agree with the restrictions being brought in, government, by the government, etc.? Do you think we have a clear roadmap for COVID-19? As, as a GP and somebody who's on the front line, do you have a roadmap? Do you know what the strategy is and where we're going, or, or are you confused like everybody else? I, I have no idea what the strategy is because there is none. Um, there is no strategy at all. You know what I mean? There is absolutely no strategy. I mean, if you compare it to where we were in March, in March, everybody knew what we were doing. We were flattening the curve. We were really yeah, we had the phases. Plan. We had the phase plan. 100%. Yeah. But people, like, at the moment, we, we, have, we have a total lack of leadership. There's no communication. We don't even have the remnants of a strategy or a plan. We're just stumbling from one set of restrictions to another set of restrictions. And so it's just a day-by-day basis, ad hoc. Let's just deal with it as it happens. Totally, but there's no sense that anyone's in control. There's no sense of togetherness. And, and my big fear is that I think we're kind of losing people, particularly with the kind of, you know, the, 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 the mess that has been messing over the last, between the green list, between the, the nine-year-old meals in the pubs, between this civil, uh, you know, the, the civil crime, which makes no sense at all if, if the guards come to your house. People are kind of, I believe, losing faith in the government's ability to manage it because of all of the d- disasters that we've seen. It's really undermining the public effort. I mean, you know, this farce at the moment now, with having to keep right. your receipts for 28 days. <laughs> yeah. It's just a joke. Like, and people are... Like, people well, are it, it would be acceptable if we had a salmonella outbreak and we need to know what people were eating and we could understand the logic behind that. But certainly now, you know, when it comes to having a pint of beer. But, but just finally, in relation to when you talk about the strategy, I mean, there is one, there's two trains of thought of this, which is we, and I spoke to, I listened to Professor Ronan Collins last night on Primetime, who made an excellent point about having to go forward, living with this virus. And as human beings, there's more to life than just living. We need to socially interact and enjoy ourselves as well. That's a part of being a human being. And, then you have the other side of the coin where you have experts uh, who RT would use on a regular basis who will tell us that this is the new normal and we need to live on a zero-free COVID island. In other words, they want to try and eradicate the virus. Do you believe that's a fantasy idea? I would love to think that we could eradicate COVID from the island. And I have colleagues who live in New Zealand and what they describe and now, with the exception of Auckland at the moment, is a completely normal society. No one wears masks. Everything is back to normal. And society is functioning as normal. That would be the dream. We're, we are unique in Ireland in that we are an island and it is geographically possible. The reality is by deciding to live alongside it, what we're, we're living with the way we are at the moment, which isn't a way to live. It's rolling restrictions with an increasing number of cases. At the moment, it looks like we'll probably have more restrictions going forward. And every time we bring in more restrictions, we're just strangling the economy more and more. So I would well, like with the, with the New Zealand plan, that. there is there is the sacrifices, of course, with the New Zealand plan. Of, of and tourism and travel. With tourism, tourism and, travel. And, we, and we share a border with United Kingdom and we'd have to have some sort of agreement with them and I can never see that kind of agreement working out too well. So there, there is, a, unless you put a border in Newry or something like that. So there really is, it's, we are limited in how we could tackle that and I don't think that's possible for us. The, the, the alternative, which is what we're doing at the moment, as I said, is, is what I feel in terms of the debt to the economy by a thousand cuts and ongoing restrictions, which are having massive impacts on people's mental health, on the health service and the economy. And as I said, this is going to be the way it's going to be for two to four years. And if that's the plan, then the government needs to come out and say that. But at the moment, I don't know what the plan is. I don't know what the future holds. And I don't know what the government wants us to do collectively. And that's not good. 
to get people on site in the middle of a pandemic. Thank you very much indeed. I appreciate you joining us today in the air. Thank you. That is uh, Dr. Matthew O'Toole, uh, former president of the National Association of General Practitioners and obviously not very happy with the announcements, um, you know, telling people every single day how many people have it or if indeed if one person has died, which seems is the case lately. Thankfully, nobody's died in nearly two weeks. It's not helpful. Um, all it's doing is, is cause creating anxiety. And I think he makes a really good point. Real people, real opinions, real talk radio. The multi award winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic hit.